This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Well, Canada has certainly performed well in the medal count, and that's exactly what I'd like for you. Better performance, and I'm going to help you get there here on the Sunday Night Health Show, the show where we educate everyone about health, including sexual health, how it relates to overall health, making your relationships the best they can be. Good evening. I am Maureen McGrath, a registered nurse, author of the book Sex and Health, blogger at Fifty Shades of Pink, clinician, TEDx speaker, and your resource to help start that conversation, answer your questions, and help you live life to the fullest. I have a passion for up-to-date health and sexual health information to guide you so that the life you live is the best it can be. Without further ado, welcome to the Sunday Night Health Show, a show about physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, relational, and yes, 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 even sexual health, uncovering what lies beneath the sheets. Please put the kitties to bed as listener discretion is advised. Remember, we are going down under. We're going under the covers. The lines are open. Feel free to give me a call about anything related to health and or relationships. The number to call is 1-877-399-9898. That's 1-877-399-9898. Or for those of you who are feeling a bit shy this evening, feel free to email me in confidence at nursetalk at hotmail.com. That's nursetalk at hotmail.com. Good evening, Andrew. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing, uh, I'm doing okay. It's... Uh... It's my Friday, even though my work week is technically two days long. <laughs> it's like my Monday. Every day is like Monday Every, for me. I hope not. Jeez. Does it ever end? <laughs> Do the Mondays ever? You know, I actually find Tuesdays to be worse than Mondays. Oh, really? Because you're still in that weekend afterglow where everything is fine. This is true. But you're not at hump day yet. So it's like you can't even look forward to the weekend. At least on Monday, <laughs> you know what you're in for. But on Tuesday, it's just... Uh, this is true. And I like that Sunday get ready for the week. You know, that, mm. you know, it's, it's a sort of strange. Mm, yeah. Clean mm, the house, <laughs> make the list. What are you going to accomplish? Do everything you need to do before Absol- the uh, absolutely the before. chaos kicks in. <laughs> exactly. Well, great minds think alike. So uh, <laughs> I'm glad we're on the same page there, Andrew. Phones are open. By Phones the way. are open. <laughs> so if you want to give us a call, remember, the number to call is one eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. Uh, As mentioned, this show is about health and relationships. Many people struggle in their relationships. There are ways to live that have stood the test of time. This for you. I love this poem. It's called For You by American writer William Arthur Ward. I always feel happy. You know why? Because I don't expect anything from anyone. Expectations always hurt. Life is short, so love your life. Be happy. Keep smiling. Just live for yourself. And before you speak, listen. Before you write, think. Before you spend, earn. Before you pray, forgive. Before you hurt, feel. Before you have love, love. Before you quit, try. Before you die, live. I thought that's a nice little poem to start off the show tonight. Hopefully you're enjoying that as well. Think about that. It's good advice. Uh, also, tonight on the program, I'm going to be talking about lots of different subjects that may impact your relationships or how you live or the quality of life that you have. One is sleep apnea. I was really intrigued by this this particular week because I had a couple of patients in my clinical practice and indirectly one helped the other 
through me, of course. I was the conduit. Uh, uh, So I'm going to share that story with you tonight, but I'm also going to talk to you about the importance of getting your sleep apnea treated and some of the symptoms, which even surprised moi. So um, I think this is something we really need to pay attention to. A lot of people are in denial about their snoring. For some reason, they don't like to hear that they snore. But they do. And you know what? Other people don't like to hear you snore either. And it also can create a geographical divide in the house. So this can really impact your relationship. Also going to be talking about how to raise successful kids. Have you got any ideas? Give, pop me an email. Let me know what you have done. If your kids ha- are successful, you consider them to be successful. What did you do? What worked the best? I have a few tips of my own. And what impact is social media having on our social lives. You'll be surprised at uh, some of the research in the studies that I'm going to be reviewing tonight. It seems that everybody is on social media. I was recently at a ski resort and in the hot tub, there were like seven or eight people in the hot tub on their phones. Nobody talking to anybody else in the hot tub. You couldn't tell who was with whom. And I tried to guess, of course, because, you know, that's just the way I am. But uh, nobody spoke. They just were staring at the phones. Um, Also, first we had conscious uncoupling. Gwyneth Paltrow coined that phrase. And now Jennifer Aniston and Justin Theroux have gone through a, have lovingly split. That's the new term. Allegedly, she knew he wasn't happy. Well, what if you knew if your spouse wasn't happy? Can you have an amicable divorce? Man, lately I have been working with couples who have had the most acrimonious splits I've ever seen. Custody issues, hiding finances, pressure to settle or sign the documents so that they wouldn't have to tell their ex-wife about $100,000 that was coming to them in the following year. Uncalled for restraint, restraining orders, friends taking sides, parental alienation, and more. Amicable parting is much better for your children. During marriage, it's best for you as a couple to put yourselves first. But when you are a divorcing couple, it's the kids who need to be put first, and that's often not the case. So I'm going to read to you an email uh, that I received tonight about a woman who has been married, widowed, married again, and looking at divorce. So how can you use friendly fighting, if you will, in your marriage? And how can you have an amicable divorce if it's just not going to work out, if you decide to lovingly split? And have you heard of bedazzled bejeejees? I'm sure not. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe you have. But anyway, it can be dangerous. I'll share a story about that before you go bedazzling your bejeejee. Hopefully you put the kids to bed, grabbed your glass of wine. Uh, we're talking about some of these uh, subjects that could be sensitive to the little ears. Also want to talk about inflammatory bowel disease. That can really impact a person's self-esteem, sexual self-esteem, relationships. And, you know, so I have some tips for you on on how to to live and be intimate with uh, a diagnosis of IBD. Also, you know, a lot of marriages, as I I said, split and lovingly or not so lovingly, most of them not so lovingly. But um, there's a type of intelligence that is needed for a longer marriage. 
and I'm going to review how smart you have to be. And it's a little bit more than happy wife, happy life, although that goes a long way. Let me tell you, I think uh, that denotes an easygoing person. But then again, you don't want to be somebody who can be walked over or be a, a people pleaser. That can get you into a lot of trouble as well. I have a gentleman in my clinical practice who you know, has just done everything for everybody. He is a type E personality and you know, he's gone through a divorce and he's having a really tough time. And it's it, he has to take a look at himself in the mirror. And he's even though he's a good person, he wants to be good and he's and he's been good and he's tried so hard that can be used against you. And it certainly was used against him in a court of law. So I will be telling you about that, because, as you know, I do a little work sometimes down in the U.S. and some of those states where marriage is uh, divorce is by jury trial. And um, the people are literally publicly shamed. It's, it's, it's incredible, actually. They should really do a documentary on, on what goes on. The, nights, the lights went out in Georgia. Um, you know, it can be, you know, they, they literally, you know, hang innocent people through these uh, divorces. And uh, it's, it's really tough for them. Also, uh, I want to talk about a lot of, I get a lot of emails about uh, people who have uh, been sexually abused or assaulted as a child and how it impacts their relationship. I want to share some resources with you. And I don't want to forget to mention a book called Broken Open by Elizabeth Glasser. It's a great book for anyone who is going through difficult times. Um, and these difficult times can actually make us stronger, make us better. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Lovely to be here with you this evening, as it is every Sunday evening, live from these fabulous studios. Um, I want to talk about sleep apnea. Sleep is so important, and sleep apnea is a potentially serious sleep disorder where breathing repeatedly stops and starts. You may have sleep apnea if you snore loudly and you feel tired even after a full night's sleep. But I learned something from a patient this week. She and her husband were in there. They were having some issues around uh, intimacy, and they had created a geographical divide because she snored, and she actually stopped breathing while uh, she was sleeping while she was snoring, and so he would have to restart her. And initially, it was just snoring, and then it advanced to this cessation of breathing. And so, because so he had left the the marital bed, if you will, and went into the guest bedroom to get some sleep because he was losing out on sleep. You got to think of your partners and your spouses when you're snoring. A lot of people are embarrassed to be snoring, or they deny it. They say, I, "I'm not snoring," for some reason. Anyway, whatever. So when he realized that she wasn't, that she was stopping breathing, he returned to the marital bed, but not for what you think. He returned so he could kickstart her, you know, and wake her up and get her breathing again. And this was really upsetting for him because she was in a little bit of denial about um, that she was snoring. And so this caused uh, a problem in the relationship. But what was interesting to me was um, one of the symptoms that she had mentioned, which was morning headaches. And I had another patient in my clinical practice who was having attention problems and irritability and was also a snorer, because <laughs> they mention this when they come in, talk about their problems. It's about the small things. Um, and so it made me think, oh, you know, I didn't realize that morning headaches were a sign of 
sleep apnea. There's several different types of sleep apnea, or three different types of sleep apnea. And the main types are obstructive sleep apnea, and that's where the throat muscles relax. There's central sleep apnea, which is when your brain doesn't send the proper signals to the muscles that control the breathing. And then there's a the complex sleep apnea syndrome, which is a combination of obstructive and central sleep apnea. So you really should see your doctor about this because uh, you can have, you're at greater risk of cardiovascular disease or of having a heart attack, number one. So there are multiple symptoms of obstructive and central sleep apnea, and they overlap, and it makes it difficult to determine the type of sleep apnea that you are having. But the most common signs and symptoms of obstructive and central sleep apneas include loud snoring, which is usually more prominent in obstructive sleep apnea, episodes of breathing cessation during sleep that is witnessed by another person. We can't go by what you say because you're sleeping, remember? Abrupt awakenings accompanied by shortness of breath, which is more likely indicative of central sleep apnea. Awakening with a dry mouth or a sore throat. Morning headache, as I said, that was news to me. Difficulty staying asleep, so insomnia. Excessive daytime sleepiness attention problems, and irritability. And those two, in particular, can affect your relationship. You know, a morning headache can too, because people are miserable sometimes when they have a headache. Attention problems and irritability can impact. If you're, you know, working, uh, multitasking, raising a family, dealing with parents who are ill, you know, not able to focus on maybe the finances or um, the the tasks at hand to run a, a house these days, it can impact your relationship. Your partner can get frustrated with you. It's also frustrating for a partner when their partner doesn't or their spouse or whomever doesn't get the help that they need. So you need to go to see your doctor if your partner notices that your snoring is loud enough to disturb their sleep. Uh, or your own sleep. If you have shortness of breath, gasping for air, or choking that awakens you from sleep, intermittent pauses in your breathing during sleep, and excessive daytime drowsiness, which may lead you to fall asleep while you're working, watching television, or even driving. This is not diagnostic because you can certainly fall asleep watching television after dinner if you have low testosterone levels. So you have to take a lot of things into account here. There are a number of risk factors. Sleep apnea can affect anybody. It doesn't discriminate. Even children can have sleep apnea. But there are certain factors that may increase your risk of sleep apnea. Number one, here it is. I know I'm a bit of the weight Nazi, but excessive weight is... Um, you know, is a contributing factor. People who are obese have four times the risk of sleep apnea that pe- than people who are a normal weight. You know, the thing is, you have to really understand uh, your category of your weight. You can be overweight. You know, some people are in denial about that. Many people won't weigh themselves because, and yet they say a number. They, you know, I'll have women come into my office and they're like, yeah, I weigh 175. I weigh them. They're 222. Weight creeps up on you. So fat deposits around your upper airway, and that is what may obstruct your breathing. But not everyone who has sleep apnea is overweight, and that's important to remember. People with thicker necks may have more narrow airways, airways, um, For men, the risk increases if the neck circumference is 17 inches around and larger. And so for women, if the neck circumference is 15 uh, 15 inches, sorry, the neck circumference for men is 17 inches. um, And for women, it's 15 inches or more. 
Uh, if you have a narrowed airway, you may have inherited a narrow airway uh, or a narrow throat or tonsils and adenoids may become enlarged and block the airway, and that happens in children. Being male, men are twice as likely to have sleep apnea than women, but women do increase their risk if they're overweight, and their risk also appears to rise after menopause. Being older is a risk factor. It usually occurs significantly more in older adults. If you have a family history of people with sleep apnea, you're also at increased risk. Here's the kicker, and this is a shocker, use of alcohol, sedatives, or tranquilizers. They relax the muscles in your throat, and those are increased risk. That will increase your risk of sleep apnea, especially if you combine them together, have that little cocktail before you go to bed. Smokers are three times more likely to have obstructive sleep apnea than are people who've never smoked. Smoking may increase the amount of inflammation and fluid retention in the upper airway. And the risk will decrease after you quit smoking. So that's a great reason to quit smoking. If you have difficulty breathing through your nose, if you have nasal congestion, whether it's an anatomical problem or allergies, you're more likely to develop obstructive sleep apnea. The central sleep apnea, being older, middle-aged and older people have a higher risk. Heart disorders, people with CHF or congestive heart failure are more at risk of central sleep apnea. Using narcotic pain medications and people who have had a stroke are more at risk. You know, it can result in daytime fatigue, high blood pressure, heart problems, type 2 diabetes, metabolic syndrome, can have complications with your medication or surgery, and the most important, in addition to liver problems, is sleep-deprived partners. I say go to your doctor if you're stopping breathing in the middle of the night. I'm Maureen McGrath. You are listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Thank you so much for being here with me this evening. Feel free to give me a call if you like. The number to call is one 877 Or you can always email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com. I welcome all of your questions and emails because I learn from you. I learn what's important to you. I learned some of the things that have helped you as well. Uh, as you, as I, if you were listening to the earlier part of the program, uh, how one patient helped another in my clinical practice. So uh, it's important to hear from you to know what it is that you're interested in and, and what things have worked for you. Uh, Raising kids, big controversial subject. Does everybody, does every new generation say, oh, those kids today? Um, but, you know, seriously, we have some serious issues going on here with kids today. Um, you know, there are a lot of parents who want to give their kids everything, especially in a monetary form. So they want their kids to have the best clothes. They want them to have the best toys. They want them to have the best cars, Lamborghinis and Maseratis as well. Uh, driving around town. Um, they don't want their kids to ever fail, make a mistake. They want to pick them up when they fall. They, um, they'll they never say, some parents will never say that it was their kid. It was always somebody else's child who did uh, did the um, misbehaved or, or was wrong or whatever, but um, wasn't the best basketball player. Um, they get upset with coaches when coaches don't play their child, but maybe their child hasn't practiced enough or uh, wasn't to the game on time for whatever reason or was or missed practice that week. Um, so these are important things to teach children. You know, I, I have a uh, 
a friend that I grew up with who uh, is very successful, and uh, he was he struggled as a child because of some issues that were going on in his personal life, and some people helped him at, at a time when they didn't even realize that the help that they were giving to him was so valuable. So he's decided to remain in the hometown where he grew up and to give back because he felt that so many kids can use what he was given. He felt he was given so many gifts, and that was directly related to his success and the success of his children. And so he's done some fantastic things in terms of of the sports world. He doesn't let anybody know that he does any of this either. And so he's made great donations. He's established scholarship funds. He has... um, you know, uh, raised or provided money to improve the fields and, you know, the sporting arenas and that kind of thing. And, you know, really to, he's so grateful and and gratitude is just such a great emotion when we think of what we have and um, look at our glass as half full as opposed to half empty. But, but gratitude has really driven his life. And, and so there are certain things, you know, we all want to do our best in terms of raising children. And, and sometimes we think that if we just buy them every toy, give them every video game, put an iPhone in their hand at the age of two, let the neighbors know how much, you know, it's a competitive race, of course. Um, and so sometimes these are not the best gifts that you can give your children so that they can go on to be successful, to be a successful kid. And, and it's often the, the things that you can't put a price tag on. If you think about it, think about somebody who made you believe in yourself, somebody who saw more in you than you believed was possible, somebody who inspired you to start reaching for your goals or start working toward your goals. What did they do? they likely gave. They gave of their spirit. They gave of themselves. They gave selflessly. They were selfless. You often hear children say that of their parents. They sacrificed a lot, and they didn't expect anything in return. This is unconditional love. Because there are a lot of parents that are happy to watch their children succeed. There are some parents who are not so happy that their children have succeeded, Uh, But that's a personality disorder, and we'll save that for another segment. But there are certain things that are important for parents to raise great children, and we forget these things, especially in this fast-paced digital world in which we live, where, you know, you can order anything on Amazon. Packages arrive daily. uh, And thinking that that is going to make a child happy is, you know, it's it's an illusion, But it's important that you provide consistent praise to your children. Look at what they deserve praise for and express your appreciation for that. Um, Everybody does something well. So a few words of recognition, especially uh, if you give that recognition publicly, maybe in front of the siblings or maybe in front of some friends or um, could be just that little nudge that your child needs to move forward. You want to see the good in kids and not just in your children because you want to see it in other children as well. You know, you never know who you're going to inspire 
by doing that. Um, I remember I had a, a kid in my minivan. All the kids in the minivan were doing well in school, and they kind of they kind of poked fun at the one kid. And um, and I used to say, "How'd you do on your report card, there, kiddo?" And you know, initially he'd be not so well. He was having some struggles in his family, and uh, and so I'd say, "Did you get all A's there, my friend?" And he'd be like, "Well, not exactly." And you know, we this little fun uh, somebody gave a darn, somebody reminded him, and, and it wasn't that his parents didn't give a darn, they were actually having some troubles, and I knew that, and, um, but it was, it was just the nudge that this kid needed, and today, you know, it's a couple of years now, and he's doing incredibly well in school. This little exchange inspired him to do incredibly well at school. And he just tried harder and harder. And, you know, the other kids in the minivan couldn't believe that, uh, you know, he was doing so well. But it was just kind of, you know, I expected that of him. I told him that. And I'm not, you know, trying to give myself any credit here. It's the credit lies with him because he decided to take that and and be able to you know, speak my truth. And my truth was, you're capable of it. And of course, you've got A's. What do you mean? And, uh, and he ended up getting A's. So, you know, you never know how you're going to influence somebody. Um, you got to be patient with kids. Uh, and patience actually demonstrates that you truly care about them. Forgiveness is also important because we are all human. I say this all the time. This person's human. I'm human. They're human. Everybody makes mistakes and you've got to forgive and you have to actually teach forgiveness. Forgiveness is a gift you give to yourself. So it's, it's easy for people to view themselves through their, through their foibles, through their weaknesses, through their mistakes. Of course, I've done that myself. And, but this mistake that we make, it's just one part of a whole person. So if you want to be a great parent, step back, set the mistake aside, look at the whole child. If you view a child through one incident, that may forever impact how you treat that child. So, you know, if somebody always messes up or they never get their homework done or whatever, it's easy to be, you know, so frustrated with them and that's that's how you see them. But if you, you know, look, you know, at broader and be, you know, what are what are the what does this kid have going for him or her? What's, you know, what's going on here? And how can we view him or her in, or they, uh, in the a fuller light, you know, to see that whole person? Because everybody has strengths and weakness, and, and everybody is, is fantastic on some level. Everybody has gifts. Uh, you need to actually pay attention to your children. <laughs> this is a big one, especially in terms of social media, because oftentimes it's not just the kids that are on social media. It's the entire family <laughs> that is on there looking at their iPads, looking at their iPhones, not paying attention. And, you know, people are more concerned at every age with likes and tweets and retweets and shares and lives increasingly become open books. And, you know, I don't know, I worry a little bit about putting all these children on social media. Parents put their their every move of their children on social media or what it seems like their every move, their dinner, their baths, their bath time, their dinners, um, their first day of school. And, you know, it's it's not really sure what that's about. And I'm not really sure if that's the healthiest thing. But to be honest, I mean, 
I never do that. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that I'm better than you. That just means it's a conscious decision that I have made never to exploit um, my children or, um, you know, it's it's their private life. And, and your children's lives are private. And so you need to pay attention to your children, put the iPhone down, but you also need to provide this privacy and you need to respect your children's privacy and help them guard their privacy. It's, it's a basic right. Um, and so I, I really think we have to rethink that and put putting there. It's OK to put your own dinners and your own baths if you want on. Would you put yourself in the tub? Yes, people do put themselves on the tub. I've seen it all on Facebook. Um, but you know what? Your children don't can't actually make that decision. They're not old enough to be able to make that decision. I just think that's something to consider. And I wonder what's going to happen to this crew of children who have been exposed on Facebook um, as they become adults and, and just how much therapy they're going to need at 35. Um, and if that's going to be the big thing, my parents put my whole life on, on Facebook. Um, you know, it's okay to ask your children for help. And you implicitly show respect. Um, you know, just it's fine to ask them to help with the dishes. It's fine to ask them to help put their clothes away. Um, you know, you you have to ask your kids for help. That's They'll automatically feel greater self-respect, self-esteem, and self-worth because they have received one of the greatest gifts of all, and that is knowing that they have made a difference, even for a moment, in another person's life, yours. And empathy is really important. It's critical to raising healthy children. You want to give your children the best opportunities possible. And so you want education. There's nothing, something that can never be taken away from your children. So take the time to help them develop the skills they may someday want to use. Take the time to help them develop uh, good habits around homework and organization and help them work toward their dream and listen to what they want to be. I mean, I have a niece who wants to be on SNL. <laughs> Does that surprise you? Anyway, <laughs> and I am encouraging her, of course. <laughs> My sister has another idea. She's like, stop encouraging her. She's never going to get on SNL. I'm like, maybe, maybe not, but I don't want to quash her dream. Anyway, so that's a little bit of a family issue there that I'm airing on the airwaves. She won't mind. Um, if it's one step closer to SNL for her, I'm all for it. Um, you want to provide freedom and responsibility for your children. You're the parent. You set the rules. You set the guidelines, the expectations. That is your job. You cannot be your friend to uh, your children. I don't know when that started. You don't want to be your friend. You want to actually be the parent. And, you know, respect is earned. Even as a parent, a lot of parents will say to me, they don't respect me. My children don't respect me. She's turning them on me or vice versa. And it's like, respect is earned. I don't want to hear any of that. And you have to give a little tough love. No one's perfect. You're not perfect. We all want to be better than we are. We all fall into habits, bad patterns. We develop blind spots. We have certain ways about ourselves. We're set in our certain ways. We all need constructive feedback. We all need a little advice, guidance. And sometimes you need a little slap up the side of the head. I'm sorry, but anyway, you need to straighten people out a little bit. And it's easy to provide feedback when our kids make mistakes. And so... It's easy to make one-off comments when they've used poor judgments. It's a lot harder to say, you are capable of more, my friend. I am Maureen McGrath. You are listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. 
Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath here hosting this program for you. Thank you so much for being here with me this evening. It is always my pleasure to be here with you. Uh, You know, our life revolves around social media. You know, I never thought that I knew social media was something that was that I needed to be on <laughs> several years ago. I remember LinkedIn. I'm like, I need to join this thing. I don't know what it's going to do, but uh, I'm going to be on it. And I joined like in 2007. Also, Twitter, whoever would have thought that you would get your news from Twitter? That's often where I get my social media news. Otherwise, I listen to to the uh, Chorus Radio Network, of course. Um, But it's not uncommon for people to get their news through Twitter. And so we're we're spending so much time online between Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter and Instagram and YouTube and Vimeo and all sorts of uh, different ways, Google, that uh, you might wonder if social media makes you socialize less in real life. What do you think? Andrew, do you think uh, social media makes you socialize less in real life? You do? Oh, wow. Interesting. That's not what the research is reporting. In fact, there are two new studies, which were both led by Jeffrey Hall, an associate professor of communication studies at the University of Kansas, that dispel what is known as social displacement theory. And social displacement theory is uh, basically means the more time you spend in the world of social media, the less time you're likely to spend socializing with people in the real world. So this applies to passive use of social media, like mindless scrolling when you're on a date <laughs> or an active interaction such as, you know, looking for those retweets or likes um, or posting on Facebook. The social displacement theory also states that such a decrease in social interaction will make you miserable or, to use scientific language, we would say lead to a decrease in your sense of well-being. These ideas were tested by uh, Mr. Hall and um, Jeffrey Hall and published in the journal Information, Communication, and Society. So there were two studies, and there was one conclusion. In study one, Hall and his colleagues used data collected from the Longitudinal Study of American Youth between 2009-2011, and they investigated whether or not there was a link between social media use and direct social contact, which is defined as getting out of the house, going out with friends, dating, talking on the phone, or going to exercise class, working out at the gym, any type of um, meeting, religious group, something like that, or going to the bar. As uh, those examined pertain to the Generation X group, and the questions about social media use were asked right when Facebook was hitting its inflection point of adoption, and the main adoption adopters in that period were Gen Xers. I think today it's actually older people, kind of the baby boomers or the bigger Facebooks and the Gen Xers have said, if my parents are on Facebook, I don't want to be. During that time of that rapid uh, social media adoption, there were powerful changes that were happening and, and you did not see declines in people's direct social contact. 
So if social displacement theory is correct, people should get out less and make fewer of those phone calls. And that was not what happened, or that was not what was demonstrated in this study. In study two, the team quizzed 116 people about their social media use and direct social contact five times a day for five days in a row. And this study also confirmed the previous studies. So the previous study. So social media users were not experiencing social displacement. If they use social media earlier in the day, they were not more likely to be alone later, which is interesting. So this is um, a stubborn myth that persists in um, the world today. And his study debunks this. And this is not the first study to have questioned the social displacement theory. But but I do think it's something that you need to be aware of, that if you're on social media frequently and if it is getting in your life, this can certainly happen. It's getting in the way of your life, getting in the way of you socializing, getting in the way of you, of your job, um, of working, then you may want to push back on um, uh, your use, your the time spent on social media. So... You know, it also noted in the study that this is a new way. These are, you know, the world is changing, and these are new ways for people to get their information. And so, social media has replaced traditional newspapers or even browsing the internet. So it's a, it's, it's basically, you know, we're evolution, and you know, we're changing. The digital world is changing the way people live and the way people look for information and gather their information, and and. Certainly, there needs to be more research done on this subject, and I and I hope uh, more uh, happens because there are so many different ways that we utilize social media today. And, of course, one of them is online dating as well. I am Maureen McGrath, and you are listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.